We do have three points here this morning. Let's look at Romans 12, 2, or Romans 2, 12. We're not to 12 yet. We'll, be, we'll get there. Uh, it's probably going to be longer than that. <laughs> MacArthur, I mean, Halen through the Book of Romans, it took him 10 years or something. Yeah, it's probably, going, it's probably going to take about that long. Yeah. It's almost a year now, and we're in chapter 2. 2 and verse 12, it says, For as many as have sinned without the law shall also perish without the law, and as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. Now, obviously, what we always do is take a little step back and just get a little bit of overview, get a little review going here that obviously we know this is Paul writing to the Roman Christians here. And Paul in, the, in his writing tells them that he's going pretty much, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you also who are at Rome. And he says, for the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So he's going to give the gospel to these Romans here. But they're Christians, but he's still giving them the gospel. For I am ready to preach the gospel to you also who are at Rome, because the gospel is not only for unbelievers. I say we need the gospel just as much, if not more, than the unbeliever to live our daily life. When we fail and we sin, we look at the gospel. We don't look back in the mirror and think, I just need to fix myself. Because there's no fixing yourself. Only God can fix us. And we look to the gospel and say, Christ died for that sin. Um, it was Luther that said something along those lines that um, when Satan tempts him with his sin and throws up his sin in front of him, all these heinous sins in front of him, and he says, yes, but Christ died for those sins. So even in his temptation, even in his failing, he recognized that Christ was over that. Christ was more important than that sin, and those sins were paid for. But anyway, so Paul is given the gospel to the believers here in Rome. And then before he gets into the gospel, which we'll start to see at the latter portion of chapter 3 into chapter 4, we see Paul giving law. Just It's like verse. every single verse we're dealing with is dealing with law and sin. That's all we're dealing with right now. It actually makes it a little bit more hard to preach because every single week I come and I'm like, I'm dealing with law and sin every single week. Obviously, I need to give good news in that too. But every, if you go verse by verse and every week you're dealing with sin and law, you get beat down. And that's really what Paul was doing here. And he was doing it to the Gentiles first in chapter 1, remember? He goes through this downward spiral of sin that the Gentiles were doing. And they do all these sins. And at the very bottom of the pit, remember, not only do you do those sins, but you love when other people do them too. And then the Jew says, Amen, Brother Paul, coming into chapter 2. And Paul said, No, no, no. But you, oh man, you have the law. You know better. Yes, those Gentiles were guilty, but you know better because you have the law, and yet you're doing the same thing as the, as the, the Gentiles, and you're judging them for doing it. So you are far worse. And that's what, we, that's what we're here at, at this text right here. We saw in our last couple messages from verse 6 to 11, it says, Who will render to every man according to his deeds? And then he goes and talks about the, the saved and the lost. And then in verse 11, he says, For there is no respect of persons with God. He doesn't respect a person. And that's actually our verse right here in verse 12. For because as many have, have sinned without the law, also perish without the law. And as many have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. 
So what is he doing again? He's describing Gentile and Jew right there. And that's our two of our three points. The, the Gentiles first. For as many as have sinned without the law, the Gentile shall also perish without the law. Here again, Paul is proving that God is not a respecter of persons. He's going to judge the Gentile who was even without the law of Moses, which is, we know that's what he's talking about because obviously in chapter 1, and we'll see later on here in chapter 2, in chapter 1 they have the law of creation, if you will. In chapter 2 we see they have the law of conscience. So they know that they know there's a God. They're not, they know that they're breaking God's law, yet they're still doing it. But God's going to judge them. Even though they don't have the law of Moses, they're still sinning. So even though the Gentile did not have the law of Moses, they are guilty before God and shall perish because of their sins. Even though they did not have the law of Moses, they had law. That's true. Just as Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, right? Abraham, there was not, the law of Moses hadn't been given yet. Yet there was still law and there was still sin, right? They still broke the law. When, when Eve ate of the, the tree and Adam, well, really when Adam ate of the tree, sin came into the world. That, wasn't, that was before the law of Moses. Yet there was still sin. And God said, you shall die in that day. You shall perish. The same thing that this says right here. For as many as have sinned without the law shall also perish without the law. They shall die without the law. Just as Adam, when he ate that, he did perish. He began perishing physically at that point. There was going to be no physical death. If he would have ne never ate that, there would have been no physical death. Yet when he ate that, he started to perish physically, just as we are today. But he, more importantly, he died spiritually at that point. Until God made atonement for him, right? He slew an animal and made them coats. Just as Cain killed Abel, there was no law of Moses then. They didn't have the Ten Commandments in stone at that point. Yet Cain killed Abel and it was a sin, right? Because they had a law. They had a law of creation. They had a law of conscience. They had the moral law of God just as everybody has. These are the laws that transcend time. They've always been. Ever since creation began and God created, they, they started, you have the law of creation, you know you're a creator, or a creation, and there's a creator that you must worship and obey. Everybody knows that. We saw that in Romans 1. Everybody knows that. There's not an exception to this rule. Everybody knows that there's a creator God and that they will stand before him one day. That's why we have so many false religions, by the way. Because though they know that, they create false religions to try to work themselves out of this and try to, try to help their conscience. They have a seared conscience because they keep sinning, so they try to make these laws that they can obey in order to make themselves feel better. This is honestly why a lot of people go to church. In real Christian churches, they come to church so they can sit there and say, I did my deed on Sunday. I'm a good person. I'm fine now. I'm good with God because I came to church. Maybe, maybe I'm the deacon of the church. 
Maybe I'm the pastor of the church. I came to church. I did my deed. I'm good with God. That's not Christianity. But to go back to this, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, Noah all had the law before the law of Moses was given. And we know this because they all sinned. And therefore they had a law to sin against, right? Because what, what is sin? It's a transgression of the law. That's what John tells us in the book of uh, 1 John. Turn up to Romans 5. 5, 12 through 14. If one of you guys get there, if you'll read that. Sure. It says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Look at that. It says, sin, By one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. All have sinned. It didn't take until the law of Moses to get to sin. It actually says that in verse 13. <laughs> for until the law sin was in the world that's a fact this is what the this is still what that Gentile there in Romans chapter 2 he's without the, the law he's talking about the law of Moses he's without that law he still has law and he's still disobeying just being creation itself demands that we obey God and our conscience demands that we obey God and the moral law demands that we obey God. So in other words, the third person, I know you've heard this argument before. What about the third person in a third world country that's never heard about Jesus? I say, what about him? He's guilty. Now, obviously, I want them to hear about Christ, and I want God to give them faith and repentance, but they're guilty just as the person here. Just because they never heard about Jesus doesn't make them innocent. They've still broken the law. And people like to use that as an objection to Christianity. It's not an objection to Christianity. It's an excuse. They wouldn't say, if God is loving and just, how can he punish a person who lives in a third world country who never got a chance to believe in Jesus, right? As if we believe in chances in Christianity either. The answer is the same way he can punish a person in this country who's violated his law. The person in another country, continent, whatever, isn't innocent because they've never heard of Jesus. Just because you haven't heard of Christ doesn't make you innocent. You've broken a law just as everybody else has broken the law. They're guilty before God because they've still sinned against him. That's the Gentile here too, right? Maybe they hadn't heard of Christ. Maybe they hadn't heard of Moses. Maybe they knew nothing about the law. But they're still guilty. And they're still going to be judged. Paul here, he leaves us, he leaves, he leaves absolutely no excuse. And he knows it by the time he gets to chapter 3. And he says it. There will be no excuse. All mouths will be stopped. 
and he makes sure of it. So they, the, the Gentile has still broken God's laws. He still hates God. You think, I, I, I don't say that. That's what Scripture says. He still hates God. He's still an enemy of God. Just because he hasn't heard of the law or heard of Christ doesn't make him any less innocent or less guilty than the person who has. They would never believe and repent unless God gives it to them first, right? They would still continue to break God's law with no remorse, with no repentance, just as the person in this country, in this city, that could be sitting in a church right now and hearing the law and hearing the gospel. That's pretty much the point Paul's making here to the Romans. He's making two points but his first one is the Gentile is still guilty even though they've never even heard of the Messiah. Even though they've never heard of the law of Moses, which points to Christ. They are still guilty. So, back to our text here. For as many as have sinned without the law shall also perish without the law. They've sinned, they're guilty, and they will perish. The Gentile. I think Paul went to great lengths in Romans chapter 1 and proved that. And he, he mentions it again here in Romans chapter 2. And then what does he do? He goes from the Gentile, those who were without the law, to those who were with the law. And even though this is talking about a Jew, this should hit closer to home to us because we have it now. The Jews thought they were safe because God chose them as, as a nation. And He gave them the law and ordinances. They thought because their family genealogy, they were saved. Because they had this... That's why the genealogy was so important to the Jew. Because I was from the line of David. Therefore, I'm one of God's people. They thought that saved them. That alone saved them. There was no, no need for faith and repentance. It was, I was born into this family, therefore... I'm God's people. And Paul is pointing out their hypocrisy. If you have the law of Moses and sinned against it, you'll be judged by it. Just as those outside of Israel would be judged. They Maybe they didn't have the law, but you had the law. And you knew better and you still sinned against it. doesn't matter who your family is. See, this is what I'm saying. This was still Paul. The word for there brings us in the beginning of this verse points us back to the previous verse, which is God is not a respecter of persons. God does not respect a person. And then he gets here and destroys the, Jew, the Gentile again and then goes right back to the Jew. That's his point is your genealogy doesn't matter. Whether you're Jew or Gentile, it doesn't matter. You've sinned. You are no better because God gave that nation the law. You still sinned against it. It wasn't only the, the Gentiles that sinned against it, right? We see that in Romans chapter 1 and right there in, coming into chapter 2. It wasn't only the Gentiles that sinned against God's law. It was the Jews as well. So in other words, Paul is saying to the Jew, repent. Repent. That's the message of John the Baptist too, right? 
Remember when John, John the Baptist came onto the scene as a forerunner to Christ? He came, be, he, he came preaching before Christ started His earthly ministry. What did He preach? Baptism of repentance. And who was He preaching to? The Jews. That was offensive to them. Now, we don't, we don't think of it today because we just think of baptism as Christian baptism, but that's not the baptism that John was preaching. John was preaching the Old Covenant baptism, and the Old Covenant baptism was this. If you were a Gentile and you wanted to worship God, you had to be baptized, you had to be ceremony, ceremonial cleansed to be brought into the nation of Israel to worship God. But now John the Baptist is going to the Jews and telling them that. I know that ceremonial washing to the Gentiles to bring them into the nation was an old covenant thing, but Jew, you need it too. And the Jews, obviously we know this from the text, and I, I don't say this is anti-Semitical or anything like that. Um, they did see themselves above the Gentiles. And when you come to the Jew and say, you need to be baptized for repentance, they're like, repentance? I'm a child of Abraham. Remember I'm saying that to Christ often, right? I'm a child of Abraham. But God does not respect a person. We've seen, actually, the text that we went to last week when we saw the, the sheet coming down and the, uh, the food, remember the, the vision of Peter there? If we would have read just a little bit further, I went back and read it because of our discussion there. If you would just read it down a little bit further, Peter says the exact same thing. He says, God, he says it in the text, God is not a respecter of persons. In that same text, just like five verses down from where we read. So it didn't matter if you are a Jew. It didn't matter if you are a child of Abraham. It didn't matter if you had a long genealogy that you could lay out. That's why, obviously, in the book of Matthew, we see it in Luke 2, but Matthew was written mainly to the Jews. You see that, that genealogy to prove that Christ, Jesus, is the Messiah. Because the genealogy meant everything to them. But it didn't matter though, right? Their genealogy, they, even if they could point themselves all the way back to Adam, that doesn't matter to God. So, I rabbit trailed a little bit there, but the Jews... John the Baptist come along preaching to the Jews that they need to be baptized. Which was a Gentile conversion into Judaism and the Old Covenant. But then even after that Gentile was brought in, they were still kept separate. They had what they called the outer court. That's where the Gentiles worshipped. They weren't allowed to come in. There was, there was no Gentile going to be the high priest of Israel. No matter what, even if he converted to to Judaism, he was not going to be the high priest. He was going to be stay on the outer court and stay separate from the Jews. And also, maybe they weren't circumcised either, right? If they converted to Judaism, then maybe they didn't, they weren't circumcised. And that was a big offense to the Jews, remember? Remember Titus in, chapter, or in Galatians chapter 2, Paul purposely didn't circumcise him. Why? Why would he do that? Paul or Titus is a Greek who had not been circumcised, and 
Paul purposely did not circumcise them as he was reaching out to the Jews. It says in the text, there were heretical Jews there that they were trying to come into the church and bring the church back under the yoke of the law. And Titus was his proof point that you don't need to do that. This man who is a pastor, Titus was a pastor. He is a pastor. He has not been circumcised, yet he's part of the kingdom. It's like, take that, Jews. But then you see, on the other hand, you see Timothy, who converted as well, and he got circumcised. Why? Because he was going to reach out to the Jews. He was dealing with a different, different situation there. He was doing it to, to do evangelism. He was wanting to go evangelize. Titus was like, these guys are heretics trying to bring us back under the law. This is proof that we don't need to be under the law. Isn't that crazy how the New Testament shifts like that, right? So one is a Greek and one is a Hellenistic Jew, if you will. They're both pastors. One gets circumcised, the other doesn't. Why? Because circumcision doesn't matter. Paul wrote, Jew, Greek, male, female, circumcised, uncircumcised. God is not a respecter of persons. That's what Paul is dealing with right here in Romans chapter 2 as well. God is not a respecter of persons. I don't care if you're circumcised or not. I don't care if you're Greek or Jew. I don't care if you're male or female. God does not respect a person. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2, 13 through 15. Jesse, you there? Yep. You mind reading that? 13 through 15? But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. You know what he's talking about there. He's talking about Jew and Gentile. That's, what, that's exactly what he's talking about there. Uh, having abolished in his flesh the enmity. The enmity there is not enmity between man and God. It's enmity between Jew and Gentile. That's what he did. Even the law of commandments contained in ordinances. For to make in himself of twain one new man, whether you're Jew or Gentile. So making peace that, that what I mentioned that we'll, we'll be looking at on Wednesday nights coming, that peace between man and man. That's what this is talking about. Jesus Christ did away with that. He did away with that. There, was, there is no Jew, no Gentile. Obviously, we, we can still look out and say, oh, well, that person's a Jew. We, we know that, but it's, when you stand before God, there's no Jew and Gentile. You're both guilty before God unless you repent and trust in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has established a new covenant that is better than the old. He's made no difference between the Jew and Gentile, meaning all men are alike. Turn up to Hebrews chapter 8. 
7 through 13. Will you read it when you get there? Mm -hmm. For if that the first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, he said, Behold, the days come, said the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with, with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant and regarded them not, said the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of, of Israel after those days. Said the Lord, I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the best, from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. And that he said, You see, this new covenant, it's not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers. This is a new covenant. This is what we're in right now. This is what Paul was writing under when he was writing to the Romans there, the Roman Christians. They're under a new covenant. And that new covenant says there's neither Jew nor Greek. And before he gets into the differences of them being saved, he deals with the differences of them not being saved, of them. about that stuff but in the new covenant it says there's neither Jew nor Gentile bond nor free male nor female now I'm going to go a little bit step further and agrees with this even though it doesn't say it but there is neither white nor black there is neither old nor young there is neither big nor small there is neither rich nor poor and if you can think of any other physical distinction between men there's neither that either God is not a respecter of persons. That's what Paul's point is here. Because the Jew, obviously we know from uh, verse 1 in chapter 2, thought he was God would respect him because he had the law and because he was a Jew. But Paul proves him wrong. All that matters is Christ. Whether you're Jew or Gentile. There's a saying I put here, only, I've said it before, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. That's what we need to live by. That's what they needed to live by. That's what the Jew... You have one life. Only what you do for Christ will last. Long life, but it'll be over soon. I mean, I'm 40. I didn't think I was going to make it to 40. I remember saying when I was younger, I knew I was going to hit 40. And my mom used to be like, don't say that. I'm like, well, I just, and I was, 
the path I was on, I'd probably have been dead or in prison. I did one of the two. I'm still here, so you know I didn't die. But life is but a vapor, right? Don't waste it. Don't be like this Jew here who knows the law and still disregards it for the tradition of men. That's what the big problem they had too, right? Their traditions held more weight than, their, than the Scriptures did. And Jesus pointed it out to them. He said, you make void the Scriptures by your traditions. Now let me say that not all tradition is bad, but we do live by what we call sola scriptura, right? It means the Scriptures alone. The all faith in actually go to the sixteen eighty nine or the sixteen forty six or the Westminster. I don't get my faith and practice out of those. Now those So it didn't. Before God. And say they're innocent. Paul knows because he says it in over and over again that every mouth will be stopped. All were guilty before God. Our last point. doesn't matter. So we can
rabbi don't go. They're a different breed.
Sloan. First carrying you along, you walk in alone, it's you stand there, did what have you done? You don't walk in alone if you're with Christ. If you're in Christ, you walk in not upon the merits of your family, not upon your genealogy, but you walk in strictly. So when you walk in, you're seen as a son of God. You walk in with perfect righteousness. Something none of us have ever earned. We couldn't even say we've earned one day of perfect righteousness. Yet we're going to walk into heaven with our cups overflowing with righteousness because of His righteousness. That's the truth of the new covenant. Jesus Christ came and fulfilled the old covenant. He died for the sins of His elect. He rose from the grave, defeating sin and Satan and death. Then He ascended to the right hand of the Father and sat down victorious, right? And makes intercession for us. Whether they be Jew, Gentile, male, female, rich, poor, small, great, white, black, yellow, red, doesn't matter anything. None of that matters. Just you, have you repented of your sins and trusted in Christ and you have eternal life. Christ didn't die for a certain type of people. He died for His elect, all that the Father gave Him. So the question is, are you included? And then you say, well, how do I, how will I know if I'm elect? How can, you, how can I know if I'm elect? Well, it's simple. Believe the gospel. Believe the gospel. Trust Jesus Christ for your salvation and look to Him today and be saved. Right? And you'll walk into heaven with your cup overflowing with righteousness. Not of your own righteousness, but of Christ's righteousness. So, I only have one point of application. And it's a pretty simple point, even though it's one we deal with often. It's one that always comes to mind, at least for me. But today, we have, still have two groups of people, right? We have the believer, we have the unbeliever, or we have also, I'd like to say, we have the religious and the non-religious. Now, say, when I say religious, I mean really any religion. You have, whether they be Roman Catholic, Buddhist, Mormons, Muslims, JWs, but they all look to the law to save them, just as, as the Jew did. They thought the law was to save them. If I keep the law, I'll be saved. I wonder how low that law would have to be to be able to do that. Because when I look at the law, I see stuff I fail at every day. How low of a, uh, of a uh, step you must take to be able to obey the law. That law has to be very low. And we all know how well that works for the rich young ruler, right? In the presence of Christ. He says, all of these things I've kept since my youth. And what did Jesus do? He didn't say, no, you didn't. He said, he went right to his heart and he knew his idol. And he said, go sell everything you have. And that was his sin. And we also have those that claim to be non-religious, right? The atheists, the agnostics, etc. We know they claim to be non-religious, but we also know from Romans 1 
that they know God, just as a religious person does. So let me ask you this. This is the application part. What's our job in this? What's our job to the religious or to the non-religious unbeliever? Can we argue them into the faith? Are we supposed to be able to answer questions? Yeah. I actually heard an apologist once say when after a formal debate and they asked him kind of like, why aren't you like the other guys where you get up here and preach the gospel to these guys? And he said, my job is not to make them, to lead them to Jesus Christ. My job is to make them a theist. That's not our job. There's, hell is full of theists. Our job is to give them the gospel and pray that God grants them faith and repentance and brings them to Christ. That way, they can worship with us. We want heaven full of those that we witness to, right? Even if we don't even know. As I, I mean, you go out and you preach and there's people walking by that you've, you never even talked to, really. You're just preaching and they walk by and maybe they hear the gospel and God uses that to save them. And one day when you step into heaven, for it, this is for any of us, you step into heaven and that person's there. And they're like, on this day, you were preaching the gospel and I really wasn't paying attention. I was walking by and I heard it and God used it to save me. Can you imagine? That's what we want, right? That's what we want. We, we really want Him to come and worship with us here. But if not, what far better when we get to heaven and we walk in to a throng of people that we've witnessed to, that God used us witnessing to them to save them, that we may not even know about. But on the other hand, hopefully when we're walking into heaven, we don't hear crickets for, because we haven't preached to anybody. Now I know, and I'm very strong on this, that God is sovereign, that God does the saving. But let's make sure there's no excuse to... We, if we preach to everybody, God's going to save some because God's saving. God is in the business of saving right now, and He is saving people right now. If I preach to everybody, he's going to save one of them. We can't look into the text and see. Now, I know you, you might not agree 100% with me on this, but we can't look into the text and see that the kingdom of God starts as his mustard seed and blows up into this giant tree that all the birds of the air come to. We, we look into the text, we see that the kingdom of God starts as a little rock and grows into a giant mountain that destroys all the other kingdoms and think God's not saving people. Y'all probably know the saying, the, it's in Scripture, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. The kingdom of God is described as leaven. Why? Because it's going to spread, it's going to overtake everything. That's what God's in the business of doing. And He does it as He's using us. What a privilege, right? What a privilege it is to come here and worship this morning, but what a privilege it is to be able to go out and be an ambassador. That's what we are. We're going to another nation. We're going to another kingdom, the kingdom of Satan, and we are preaching Christ crucified. And God's using us in that. And God is saving His people in that. Whether they be Jew, Gentile, male, female, bond, free, it doesn't matter.
So let's go out and participate while we can. Because like I mentioned, life is but a vapor. That's scripture. We may think we have a long time, but that could end today. While we still can, let's go out and participate in God using us to take his gospel to his people. Amen.